when Mark asked me to uh, give my testimony, I said, sure, I'll give my testimony. Whenever Mark asks you to give your testimony, you may as well say, Satan, kick my butt. Because for the last week or so, Satan's just been all over me. And Mark texted me and said, I'm praying for your testimony. And I thought, that's why I'm getting beat up so bad. I totally forgot about it. Satan's not happy when you give glory to God, is he? He really isn't. But you know what? We're going to give glory to God anyway. Amen? We, uh, I just want to start off with, uh, I'm going to go through like three sections. Am I bouncing off too bad? Am I good? Please? We good? Okay. I won't touch it, I promise. I just want to go through three sections if I can. I want to talk about what my life is like before Jesus, how I became a Christian, and what my life's like right now. So to start with, when I was a kid, we grew up in a family that wasn't saved, didn't go to church. We did the Easter, Christmas kind of thing, kind of an obligation sort of thing, I suppose. We didn't really, I asked my dad one time, I said, what are we? And he said, we're Baptist. And I said, okay, that was good. I didn't know what that meant. Did, we never went to a Baptist church. I, I, I guess he was Baptist at one time in his life, and I inherited it or something. I'm not sure. But we were uh, considered Baptist from then on. When I went to Marine Corps, my dog tag said Baptist. and didn't have any idea what that meant. But, you know, we had a typical American family, just a family like yours, you know, two parents, a couple kids, everybody went to work. I lived baseball and basketball, that's all I thought about, just played outside, just, just like every other family. The one thing that gets me, and at the time I didn't know what it was, and it wasn't an it, it was a him, it was the Holy Spirit, gave me a real curiosity about the Bible, curiosity about spiritual things. Uh, my grandma every now and then would take us to church when we were little, and we'd sing, Jesus loves me, and, and I knew that was true even though I never heard it again for another year or two, whenever she'd take us the next time. But the Holy Spirit just gave me a real curiosity about this whole, uh, just the, the whole Jesus thing that I didn't understand at all. We had a living room at our house, and I always tell Sherry, our house is like the exact opposite of the house I grew up with. The house we live in now, we live in it. You can find my socks, my shoes, probably some underwear over there. You know what? We live in our house now. Sherry tries to keep it in order, but it's, we live in it. I lived in a museum. I lived in a house where you didn't, everything had its place and everything was squared away. And my dad was Marine Corps to the max, and you had your shoes lined up. And I had to use 45-degree uh, corners on my bed, and uh, it was insane. But that's how our house was run. And we had a living room that nobody was allowed in except when guests came. And then we would sit in there and act like we'd you, and we'd walk in, and man, this is what it looks like. You didn't even, you'd never been in there. But on the, on the, we had a coffee table, and on the coffee table was a big family Bible. It was beautiful. It was, it was black leather, gold trim pages. It was just a beautiful Bible that nobody ever touched. We picked it up, we dusted it off, and it went back into the museum. And it was always like that. But I remember even as a little kid, I'm talking about five, six, seven years old, I would go in there and sneak into the living room and crack that thing open. I mean, literally, you know, each page, and they were still stuck together. And I would start reading the Bible. 
Only the Holy Spirit could do that because I had no, there was no inclination at all to read that. We didn't go to church, go to church. We didn't, didn't know what any of that meant. But every night I'd read it, and I'd always do this. I'd start with, like, the Gospels. I'd start with Genesis, and I'd go to the Gospels, and I'd go to Revelation. And it would scare the heck out of me. I'd read Revelation. Demons coming out of the ocean. And I'm saying, oh, and I'd slam it and wouldn't read it again for six more months. But that was like my spiritual upbringing. That's, that's all I had. I, but I knew the Bible was right. I knew, even when I was just reading a little bit, I, I remember it being right. And I, I read enough of it that said that we should be different. I didn't realize it meant that we should be transformed. I thought it just meant be good, be moral. So I decided to be a moral person, be a good person. And I found out that I really stunk at it. I mean, I was like really bad at being a moral person because I didn't have a transformed heart. It was just, I was just a sinner trying to be a good person. So I did a lot of stuff when I was a teenager, and I'm not going to give each one of them because I won't be able to look at you anymore. Um, Some of the really stupid stuff I did, I just didn't do really good. But I tried to be a good person. But as time went on, my dad decided that he needed a girlfriend. And my mom wasn't real keen on that. And so uh, they got a divorce. And they sat us down. They said, you know, we're, uh, we're going to get a divorce. We, we've grown apart. He didn't tell me about his girlfriend. They'd just grown apart. And so my world really got rocked there. I'm about 15 years old, and I'm thinking, wow. And, and it, what's so strange is today, divorce is everywhere. But in the 70s, I was the only people I ever knew got divorced was my folks. Nobody else got divorced. So it was really awkward. It was really strange. And uh, so that kind of really changed my life. And so I started uh, smoking because my dad was gone. You know, he was like the authority, you know. And he would always make me mine, and he was gone. So I started drinking and all kinds of horrible stuff. And my folks, my mom was working all the time. My uh, sister was working all the time. We didn't have much money. I mean, we went from quite a bit of money to no money. And it was moving from one uh, nice home to a dumpy home, from a nice area, the school I went to, to a not-so-nice place, all within like six months. It really, it was just, it was a huge impact on me. It was just really, really strange. So after drinking and smoking and uh, getting straight A's in school, I started getting B's and C's and D's. And finally, I said, I don't need this crap. That was my attitude. I'm out of here. So I quit high school. And I went from being like one of the top in my class to a year later, not even in school. The one thing I did remember that was my dad was a Marine. And I always thought, I really looked up to my dad even after all the things he had done. And I thought, well, the Marine Corps is the way. So I went down and joined the Marines. 17 years old. Mallory's 17 right now. It blows my mind that a 17-year-old can join the military. It's just insane. So at that time, you could still quit high school. I don't think you can do it now, but, and you could go in the Marines. So I'm 17 years old on Paris Island and kind of going through all that kind of stuff. And uh, back in my mind, I kept thinking, they, I remember they gave us a little Gideon Bible, you know, the little camouflage one. Did you get one of those, Nick? Everybody got one. Okay, you get a little camouflage Bible. And I remember that Bible was true. And, you know, I would read it every now and then. I'd carry it around with me in one of my pockets. See, the Marine Corps gives you pockets. You get like 18 pockets. 
And I remember put, keeping it in one of my pockets. And I would carry it around. I don't know if that was a good luck charm. So in the back of my mind, I kept thinking, the Bible's right, and this is good. But I didn't have a clue what was going on. But the Holy Spirit kept working with me. And I was raised in a home where um, they had, I don't know how to put this politely. Uh, there were people... I'm trying to be as tactful as I can. My folks were prejudiced. They just were. You married certain kind of people, and you lived with certain people, and you didn't go near these people because they were bad because they weren't like you. And that's how we were raised. It was Kentucky, you know, back in the day. Hopefully, man, we've made huge strides to get away from that. But so Jesus thought it would be funny to send the biggest black man he could find to witness to Herb Valentine. And there was a guy named Earl Holmes, and he was 6'2", and he was a football player, and he's from uh, LSU, and he was a, a Marine's Marine. I mean, this dude was just huge. And so we get in the Marine Corps, and he starts telling me about Jesus. And I'm thinking, great, okay, uh, I, I want a little bit of Jesus. I don't want to go to hell, but that's it. I, I don't really want... I don't know, like, you're like a fanatic. You're a freak. And he was like, amen, I am. And he was tough. And he wasn't like any, any Christian I ever knew. Christians I knew weren't like him. And where everybody else was cussing and drinking and smoking dope and with women and all kinds of stuff, he was carrying like this Bible that I couldn't pick up. He carried around. He'd say, King James Version says this. And he would read it and everything else. And I thought, man, this guy is driving me nuts. And for like a year and a half, he was telling me about Jesus. But in the back of my mind, I kept thinking about the Bible on the coffee table. I knew it was true. I remember my little Bible that nobody else knew I carried because it was little. I knew it was true. And I got this huge dude that won't leave me alone Tell me about Jesus. And he outranked me, which was like even worse. So, and he kept talking to me about Jesus. And I thought, this guy is driving me nuts. And the only thing I can think of is the Holy Spirit told him, I'm going after Herb, and you might as well just go after him too, because I'm going to get him. So one day, I'm in Okinawa, Japan. I'm on the other side of the world. Uh, at this point, I guess I'm 18, 19 years old. And he says, Lance Corporal Valentine, which is an E3, you're the third level. He's an E4, he was a corporal. He said, get in my office. Well, when a corporal in the Marine Corps tells you to get in his office, you get in his office. I get in there, and he was our mailman. So he goes, puts me in the mailroom, and he closes the door behind him. He fills up the whole door. And he says, you're not going to leave here until you tell me what you're going to do with Jesus Christ. Well, that's not like the Billy Graham thing that I remember. <laughs> you know, I thought you were supposed to walk an aisle, pray a prayer. To, no, this dude, I thought, if I don't accept Jesus, he's going to pound the tar out of me until I accept <laughs> Jesus. But the Holy Spirit at that point had been working on me so much, I said, you're right, Earl. I, I need Jesus. And he said, let's pray right here. So we prayed, and I, I repented. And I want to say, wow, from that moment on, it was awesome, but it wasn't. I, I walked out of there, a new creation who was really, really loved my sinful life. I really did. And a couple months later, he got so mad at me. He grabbed me by the back of the neck. He said, you're coming in here, and you're going to listen to this tape. This shows you how old I am. It was a reel-to-reel tape. We're not telling you, not, it wasn't even a cassette or an A-track. It was a reel-to-reel, all right? And he puts his reel, and he, he hooks it up. I mean, it was like something from way back. And 
he sets me down, he pops these giant headsets on me, and he says, you're not going to move until you listen to this. This dude was like, he, he failed evangelism 101. He didn't do anything right, but he did it right for me. And so I get this, and we're in these cubicles, but they didn't have any doors. Anybody could walk by and see you. And he played a tape about the crucifixion. And it was about what Jesus did for me and what he did for you, what he did for each one of us. And I'd always heard, okay, I saw pictures. He had, a, he had a nails and a little bit of blood. No, I mean, he is tortured beyond belief. You know, now that the passion of the Christ has come out, I didn't know that back then. If you haven't seen that, please see that. And, and it really broke me down to I couldn't have a casual relationship with Jesus Christ. I had to go all in the way he went all in for me. And so that really transformed my life because I started realizing that he really, really had a job for me. And I could relate to that because I was a Marine. I was used to taking orders. And so now I've got this Savior, and he's got orders for me. And I started thinking, okay, I'm going to take my Marine Corps. I'm going to take my Jesus. I'm going to put them together, and we're going we're to conquer the world. At least I thought so. But the one thing that I never, ever believed, I did not believe this, and it it is so strange, was years went by. Was I in church? Yes. Was I preaching? Yes. Was I going through seminary? Yes. Was I going through teaching Sunday school and you name it, I was going through it all. I was doing it all. But there was one thing that was really missing in my salvation, and I went to a Promise Keepers convention. If you guys remember Promise Keepers, it was like a men's group. And we were in Indianapolis. And the preacher said, this is what we're going to do. And he builds this giant cross. I mean, right in front of us, this dude builds this, like, 12-foot cross with an axe. It was really wild to watch. And he said, now what I want you to do is every single one of you I want you to write down the one sin that's in your life that's keeping you from being as close to Jesus as you can possibly be. What is your one sin? I want you to write it on a piece of paper, fold it up so nobody can see it, pray about it, and say, God, I'm giving you this sin. I'm not going to do this anymore. I'm going to give you this sin. And then I want you to come down here, and we're going to nail it to the cross. Well, this stadium's got like 50,000 guys, and it's, it's Indianapolis RCA Dome or whatever. I don't know. It's not even there anymore. But, and I thought, wow. So they all go down, and I'm thinking, what's my secret sin, Lord? I don't have one. Okay, i got to make up something. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm doing pretty good. Jesus says, you got to be kidding me. And I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what's my sin? What's my sin? And they're nailing all their sins to the cross. And, and this 12th cross, they had to get a ladder, and they're nailing them all. And it's turning white from all these papers. Well, finally, they can't nail anymore. They start throwing them at the foot of the cross. And now, if you can imagine, there's this pile at the bottom of the cross. And I finally figured out what it was. And I said, God, I don't believe you love me. And I thought, what's really weird about that was I told people how much Jesus loved them. But he said, you don't really believe I love you 
yeah, I love the whole world, but I love you. And I hope everybody in this room realizes he loves you individually. Individually he loves you, not just corporately. And I was like, wow, Lord. So I had to write down, I don't believe you love me. And I folded it up. And I looked down at that cross, and he said, what do I have to do? What do I got to do? I'm like, Lord, I got this Marine Corps thing. I got this salvation thing. We're doing good. He's like, forget that junk. I love you, and I want you to love other people. Not just get them on the right path. Don't look at them as, hey, these are targets that I got to go and share the gospel with so that they get saved. And so we move on. Congratulations. You prayed the prayer. Let's go over and get these people. Love these people the way I love you. Man, that was transforming for me because then I walked down there. It was weird because the stadium was empty because once you put your, your sins down there, then everybody went off to lunch. There was like me and eight guys in the whole place. It took that long for him to tell me, Herb, you're thick. You're not getting it. And now I'm going to tell you. So I went down and I threw that on there. And I promise you, to this day, I have never doubted that he loves me. I know that he loves me. If everybody else hates me, and if you knew me like, like a whole lot, that might actually happen. Um, he loves me. He really loves me. And that's, that's something that really transformed my life. Now today, I said I was going to go through this whole thing without crying, but I didn't make it. Today... I want to talk about what Jesus is doing. He's constantly reminding me of something that I don't want to get into a theological discussion, but salvation is 100% him. Because I never sought him. I was smoking dope. You know, I was doing things that I shouldn't be doing. He came after me. You know, I was living in a world of whatever, and he sends somebody to me that I don't even understand this dude, and he comes after me. And Every time, every step along the way, I'm thinking this, and the Lord's like, no, Herb, come on back over here, come over. He keeps changing me every single day. And times I'll forget he loves me. He's like, okay, I'm starting to think, Lord, okay, maybe you don't love me. He said, Herb, don't make me do this again. I know you love me, Lord. And he, he walks me through. He's doing 100% of it. And one thing he's really teaching me, he says, Herb, stop beating yourself up. And Mark and I talk about this, is I think to myself, man, I'm 52 years old. I've been saved for almost 30 years. Shouldn't I be a better Christian than this? And the Lord's like, I'm working with you. I'm taking care of you. I'm changing you. I'm transforming you into the image of my son. And so whenever I see people and they go, I'll do something totally stupid, which I do every day, people will say, that dude's saved. I'm like, you should have seen me before. I mean, this is good. <laughs> you know, but that's where the Lord is telling me, don't beat yourself up. I'm in charge of your life. I'm in charge of your salvation. I'm in charge of getting you to the other side. It's all on me. I got it. I got it. And so that's what he's telling me. So this week, Sharon and I have been discussing things that we've seen in the news and the Supreme Court. And things, and it, we get down, and we get to where we say, wow, this is, man, just everything's coming unraveled. 
And Jesus says, I got it. I got it. We discussed it this morning. He's like, I got it. The way I saved you, I can save every single human being who turns their life over to me. If you will, I think my whole testimony, when Mark asked me to give my testimony, I said, my testimony is not really different than anybody else's. It's all about God. What God saw me, he went after me, he saved me, he's holding me, he's going to bring me to himself. It's all a Jesus thing. Amen? It's all Jesus. It's not Herb, because Herb stinks at this. But if, if you'll indulge me, I want to read my very favorite passage in all the Bible. And it sums up my whole testimony. It's, it's Romans chapter 8. And I'm going to read this in the New Living Translation. He says, so now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. That's me. There's no condemnation. He says, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Those who are dominated by the sinful nature think about sinful things. But those who are controlled by the Holy Spirit think about the things that please the Spirit. So letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death. But letting the Spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. For the sinful nature is always hostile to God. It never did obey God's laws and it never will. That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. I tried that. You can't do it. But you are not controlled by the sinful nature. You're controlled by the Spirit. If you have the Spirit of God living in you. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ living in them do not belong to Him at all. And Christ lives within you. So even though your body will die because of sin, the Spirit gives you life. Because you've been made right with God. The Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. And just as God raised Christ Jesus from the dead, He will give life to your mortal bodies by this same Spirit living within you. Therefore, dear brothers and sisters, you have no obligation to do what your sinful nature urges you to do. For, you, for, you live, uh, for if you live by its dictates, you will die. But if through the power of the Spirit you put to death the deeds of your sinful nature, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you received God's Spirit when, you, when He adopted you as His own children. Now we call Him Abba, Father. For His Spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are His children... We are his heirs. In fact, together, Christ, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share with his glory, we must also share with the sufferings. Yet what we suffer now is nothing compared to the glory he will reveal to us later. For we, 
for all creation is waiting eagerly for that future day when God will reveal who His children really are. Against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse. But with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present day. And we believers also groan, even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait for, with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children, including the new bodies he's promised us. We were given this hope when we were saved. If we already had something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for. But the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed with words. And the Holy Spirit who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying. For the Spirit pleads for us believers in harmony with God's own will. Amen. I love that. And we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son, so that His Son would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And having chosen them, He called them to come to Him. And having called them, He gave them right standing with Himself. And having given them right standing, He gave them glory. And when I said the Lord gave me a confirmation this morning, we walked into that room to pray. And these guys didn't know I was going to read this scripture. And I didn't know they were going to play that song about nothing can separate us from the love of God. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't, we also give us, won't he also give us everything? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one, for God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one, for Christ Jesus died for us and was raised to life for us and is sitting in a place of honor at God's right hand pleading for us. Can anything separate us from the love of God? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scripture says, 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 for, for, your, for your sake we are killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. For I am convinced that nothing can separate us from the love of God, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither fears for today nor worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is my testimony. Amen? Amen.